0: Welcome to another edition of Voter Raid's Wonk and Circumstance, where we tackle the issues that are facing the state legislature in 2017, issues that affect your day-to-day life. I'm Juanqui Robaina, and today's episode is a little bit different. We're going to have two different discussions. The first is going to be with Armando Ibarra and Jessica Fernandez, who are actually up in Tallahassee dealing with the issue of Airbnb and the gig economy. As we speak, the second half will be with panelists Nick and Alan, who will come in to discuss the ideology of ride sharing apps, Airbnb, the gig economy, you know, the big picture stuff. So, without further ado, let's head to Tallahassee and hear from Armando and Jessica.
1: Hey, this is Armando Ibarra. I'm president of AI Advisory, and we're a public strategy firm. That works with uh, company organ- organizations and uh, uh, people in public policy to, um, you know, drive success in regards to major issues. We work with candidates and uh, we help private companies um, in their business that overlaps with uh, government and policy.
2: Hi, my name is Jessica Fernandez, and I'm a director of public affairs at AI Advisory. And um, my background comes in, in public affairs and I'm deeply rooted in campaigns and advocacy, client relations and management. So where we really add value is uh, helping folks grow their network um, and really understanding data and being able to um, translate that data into uh, communications talking points.
0: Thank you both of you for, for coming on and talking about this issue with us. Uh, today, we're talking about Airbnb. It's, it's kind of the second stage of the fight Uh, between uh, not ride sharing but let's say the sharing economy the gig economy you know between an existing industry Uh, so we have in this case the the gig economy is Airbnb which is for those that don't know a website that allows people to rent a private piece of property could be their house could be a room could be whatever I guess and you do it essentially kind of like uber but in the uh rental space and of course this is a in direct opposition to the way that we have been renting uh space for decades you know the traditional manner is that you go to a hotel and you rent a room for the night first let's start by saying what is the existing structure right now is airbnb technically legal in the state of florida
1: well it depends from what perspective you're looking at it from the state's perspective currently uh, Airbnb and vacation rentals are legal, assuming that they follow existing state uh, statutes uh, such as registering their properties. Um, from a local perspective, you know um, and based on state law, uh, local governments for the most part are not able to prohibit things like you know prohibit uh, home sharing like Airbnb, for example. but, um, it does directly contradict local laws as they relate to zoning. So it operates in sort of a gray area where uh, on the one hand, there is uh, in, in some respects, you know legal you know legal basis for them to operate, but in other respects they operate in co- contradicting local laws and many of them operate well, Technically legal for them to exist, they don't. They don't operate in full compliance with, you know, state and local laws that should govern, you know, their behavior and the way that that they operate the businesses. So it, it's kind of a gray area and one that, you know, these these businesses, Airbnb and others, they're looking to clarify. Um, and that's why right now it's a very important time because something, uh, an innovation like this. Um, you know, hasn't previously been addressed um, in a satisfactory way by law and public policy. And now is when government is coming around to really investigate, you know, how it is that we should deal with uh, these type of businesses, these type of properties and finding solutions both at the local and state level to to having them operate, but also finding a solution to the impact that these businesses have in the community.
0: Interesting that you bring up Uber. So uh, it, it, a lot of people are drawing the parallels that the the way that the state regulates Uber are similar that to the way that the state regulates Airbnb. But from what I take that you mentioned, uh, Armando that that's not necessarily the case because uber and lyft and other ride sharing apps were explicitly illegal yes and now airbnb is not explicitly illegal it's just that the the users of those apps ra- rather the supply of those apps have to follow certain rules that maybe they not might not be doing so judiciously
1: right well you know i think a big part of it is that uh, most of these units do in fact violate local zoning so on and that's i because local zoning um would prohibit commercial businesses from operating in residential areas and uh, uh at a state level uh, legislation was passed and in, in 2011 and then it was amended and corrected in 2014 that uh prevented local governments from regulating in any you know for prohibiting or regulating in any way at the local level using zoning so on the one hand the state the state law um, basically said zoning applies to these properties unless they're specifically vacation rentals in which case they don't have to comply with, with zoning uh, local zoning law
0: and that predates Airbnb right 2011 uh, I don't know I, maybe I have the timeline wrong but I feel like that predates the popularity of the app by a significant well, well vacation amount
1: of time. rentals have been around for longer than that It's but not
2: just Airbnb that we're talking about we're talking about home away. we're talking about VRBO, we're talking about a number of websites. You know, we're just using Airbnb as the catch-all phrase to describe these transient uh, rentals.
1: Okay. You know, it's also keep in mind that a few years ago, vacation rentals were a relatively small market, right? And it was Airbnb in the last two or three years where this market has exploded exponentially to the point where in Miami-Dade County alone, There are more than 20,000 vacation rental units available, and in the county, there are 53,000 hotel rooms. So, this has gone from being a small industry to being, you know, uh, to Airbnb being the biggest provider of commercial lodging in all of Miami Dade, and in fact, in all of the state of Florida. Uh, It controls more units than any individual hotel company does Uh, so you know what we're seeing is this has gone from being a a small industry one that perhaps could be you know given some leeway because it was so small to one that now is a significant if not potentially a dominating part of the market and so the question then becomes you know if that's the case you know we have to make sure that they're treated that they're treated equally as other lodging establishments so that their um, the benefits that they receive in some ways from operating outside the law, you know, are equalized so that, you know, across the board the industry follows one set of rules.
2: So let me just outline a couple of ways that Airbnb um, is different even from HomeAway or VRBO. So Airbnb has this um, secretive agreement with the Florida Department of Revenue, which um, has only been um, divulged. When they were sued, by Palm Beach County, um, to get a copy of this this, quote unquote, voluntary tax collection agreement,
0: was this the government this suing?
2: This is a county suing the state government or the, the state the Florida Department of Revenue to, to release these these this agreement. So basically, um, some of the some of the key parts of this agreement include the anonymization of both the host and the the guest. And also this agreement um, indemnified Airbnb from ever having to pay back taxes. Now, just juxtapose that to another another industry, another, another hotel, for example, who's approaching the state for voluntary compliance and saying, hey, I want to comply, they have a three-year uh, back window of going back. So, you know, there's a lot of differences and there's a lot of um, – there's a lot of d- different ways that the government is treating airbnb and home uh, uh vacation rentals as opposed to any other business um the 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 uh, all hotels in the state of florida are regulated um through the department of uh, business and professional regulations the division of hotels um so mm-hmm. you know what we're what we're seeing is an unlevel playing field where essentially some of the some of the bills being proposed this legislative session are picking winners and losers by favoring one type of lodging class over another in being able to 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 register to audit and to collect taxes on these properties, which all go into why we don't have a state income tax, the, the tourist development tax, the the, the convention bureau tax. Um, so th- there's there's a competitive advantage that airbnb and others are gaining due to the fact that they live in this uh shadow uh market basically in the in the transient rental um industry
0: uh i have to say that listening to you guys talk about the the scope of of the treatment of airbnb legally it reminds me a little bit of a fight that happened in the legislature uh, a few years ago in regards to uh, sales tax collected online and uh, the fight between amazon and uh traditional retailers and the traditional retailers if i'm remembering correctly were saying hey it's not fair that websites specifically amazon but but all websites uh are are being allowed to charge uh no tax they don't collect tax and therefore their prices are are uh, cheaper through no fault of our own and they get an advantage and you know it's interesting because that that fight happened and it was contentious for a long time and uh, and now if you buy something on Amazon in Florida and it's from somewhere else in Florida, then
1: you have to pay I mean, there to. are some, some similarities to, to the case, but I think, you know, the main difference is that, you know, many of these online businesses were saying, you know, we shouldn't have to pay sales taxes because we don't have physical infrastructure in your state. We're not physically there. I mean, I think the case with these is that while it's a different business model, these, these properties are physically in our state and they're physically in residential neighborhoods. So... In many ways, okay. it, it actually makes their impact all too real, right? It, it's even more uh, relevant and more in the face of residents um, where, you know, they they are actually seeing these impacts in, in their neighborhoods. Um, and that's a big deal. So, you know, I think the first thing is to, you know, with this issue is to kind of uh, analyze whether, one, these property, you know, one – Let's talk about what home sharing is, right? And so, you know, for the most part, home sharing and, and people think of Airbnb as a home sharing site, right? And home sharing refers to you you are renting out a room in your home, um, you know, in in order to to a short-term renter um, or something like that. But that's not that's how Airbnb started, but that's no longer what Airbnb is, right? In fact, today nationally, 81% of Airbnb's revenues come from commercial lodging in properties that are used exclusively uh, for short-term rentals um, and basically operate like mini hotels, right? So that's the key difference between somebody using, um, you know, renting out a couple of nights a room or something like that versus a, a whole industry that revolves around purchasing properties specifically to rent them out as um, short-term rentals
0: and these these properties uh, are, is there any way to know if they're primarily in residential areas or versus commercial areas or is it pretty much known that these are houses that are in like regular uh, well, neighborhoods?
1: most of them are in, in residential neighborhoods and you know from the data that that we've uh, found uh, based on a recent research report by CBRE um, is that 81% of revenue rental revenue nationally through Airbnb goes to these commercial lodging type units which are you know units that are used exclusively for short-term rentals only 19% of the revenue nationally corresponds to home sharing and in Miami-Dade those numbers are even are, are even uh, more weighted towards commercial lodging in Miami-Dade 89% of revenue uh, rental revenue through Airbnb uh, is for commercial lodging units and only 11% uh, Corresponds to home sharing and so you know really is that Airbnb has gone from it started off as a home sharing site But today it's a essentially an operator of commercial lodging um, Like a hotel right so or like a hotel chain where the key difference is they may not physically own the property but you know Airbnb operates like a large lodging company and you know, it's gone from being a small industry, maybe in 2011, to a huge industry. In fact, currently in Miami... what's well, a legitimate are, competitor to, yeah, to hotels I mean, now. Miami, exactly. In Miami, there are approximately 54,000 hotel, hotel rooms. Compare that to almost 21,000 vacation rental units which have come on board in the last few years. So, it's a very quickly growing segment. And in case you're wondering, 21,000 is more hotel units in Miami-Dade County than any single hotel brand in the county. So it is currently the largest provider of vacation rentals. But the thing is that because they call them vacation rentals and, and, and they create this perception that people are, are sharing their home you know, on, on, a, on a passive or marginal basis, right? They, they create a certain perception. But the reality is that most of this is commercial. And just like the hotels deal with now, this is a very big deal because almost all of these units are in residential neighborhoods, and you know, residential zoning was created uh, for for a reason. And everybody else follows commercial uh, or follows zoning laws, but for some reason, the legislature in the past at the state level chose to exempt them from you know this type of regulation at the local level, it prohibited local. Uh, governments from prohibiting the uh, vacation rentals or from regulating the duration of stays or the frequency in which um, these homes are rented. So basically, exempted this whole industry from local oversight. And today we see the consequences of that. Um, and there are many, you know, but from a very basic perspective, it's sort of an issue of, of property rights. And, and property rights is not just a matter of. You're looking at it from what I want to do with my property. It's also a matter of looking at it from what happens if my neighbor chooses to, quote unquote, exercise his property rights you know, and it affects me. So property rights is, is, is not just something that's looked from one perspective. And what we're seeing here is that by exempting vacation rentals from the same sort of oversight and regulation at the local level that every other business has to go through or that hotels have to go through, you're, in a sense, hurting the property rights of their competitors. One, of you know, hotels that have to comply with millions of dollars worth of regulations, whether it be non-discrimination or ADA compliance or fire sprinklers or a whole litany of different regulations that hotels and other lodging have to comply with that Airbnb does not have to comply with. To the fact that um, you know, they're able to operate commercial businesses and residential neighborhoods in you know something that none of those other residential owners is able to do right so if i wanted to open a restaurant in my home or if i wanted to open a car, you know uh, an auto body shop or some other form of commercial business in my home in a residential neighborhood i would not be allowed to do that they are allowed to operate their commercial business this commercial lodging um, unlike all these other comm- you know commercial businesses in other industries so you know it creates a matter of whether some people are being treated unfairly and whether that's affecting their property rights but also from you know a, a let's say conservative perspective that a lot of legislators um, you know uh well, the, up the, here mar- in Tallahassee. the majority of the legislature is, is republican
0: on right. both sides
1: yeah and so you know it creates uh, a double standard right where um, there is not one set of rules there are in fact two sets of rules and those sets of rules and the way that they're set up, they, they're picking winners and, and losers, right? They're giving advantages to one segment of the market and creating disadvantages for the other. Um, and so, you know, that's something that, you know, I think is is highly problematic for any industry that has to comply with millions of dollars worth of requirements uh, on their property, but their competitors don't have to uh, comply with those same requirements. And, you know, I think that any time that we create those circumstances, it ends up hurting uh, small businesses that don't have the uh, resources to fight them. And it ends up sort of manipulating our economy and our market to sort of advantage a small segment while disadvantaging all all other types of industries and businesses.
2: I mean, I would like to also add that the percentage of, of the of the hosts quote unquote hosts in miami that have multiple units is over 50 um so this is not just like hey you know i'm gonna be traveling out of the country for six months and i want to be able to cover my costs i'm gonna put it up you know one person doing you know one 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 house one unit one apartment i mean these are people that are running a commercial enterprise uh without having to 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 fall in line with the same regulation now the same your neighbor who's renting out his his house to Airbnb according to to the to the current scheme that's okay but the neighbor across the street who's renting out a back room is is you know according to some county and and city ordinances uh in violation for having an efficiency rented out so, having an efficiency is illegal, but doing an Airbnb is legal. So, do you see that there's a lot of, there's a conundrum here.
1: Right. So, if a, if a property owner in Hialeah rented out their efficiency on a one year lease, that would be a, a code violation. But if they, instead they rented it out on Airbnb to a different renter every night or however length, you know, but they rented out on Airbnb for a short term basis, that would be legal and allowable. So, you know we do start seeing, and this is an example of how this this creates a double standard not just for businesses but for property owners, um, where some of them are disadvantaged in their property rights, but you know new property rights are created for owners of commercial businesses that otherwise would not exist if it was a different type of business. And so that creates, you know, I think, a lot of contradictions. Um, and it's an issue that you know the state legislature, um, tried to deal with in 2014 when it actually gave local municipalities back some of their tools for oversight and regulation but not all of them and it still prevented lo- you know local governments from uh, prohibiting or regulating the duration and frequency of these rentals but it didn't allow them to um, go back in and, and regulate some of the impacts created on them and so now that's an issue that we're seeing at the local level where in the city of Miami, where they're, they're going to be considering on Thursday potentially a a, a bill that would um, reaffirm the ban on vacation rentals in certain residential neighborhoods, we're seeing it with the county, which just recently reached a uh, a revenue agreement, um, you know, with with Airbnb, for example, and so, so it's it's a it's a very big issue at local level, and you know, in the city of Miami. You know, for them, it's primarily an issue driven by uh, zoning and the desire to uh, to sort of maintain the character of neighborhoods. Um, but also it's one driven by pragmatism because we, we see that in, in real terms, there are impacts that's having which have nothing to do with ideology. Uh, but among them, for example, is the way that it diverts uh, units from the general rental market, and it makes uh, housing more expensive for residents because these units are now being um, diverted to short-term rentals. In the past twenty, in the past two years, sorry, Airbnb has gone from zero to twenty thousand units uh, on uh, on in their system in Miami-Dade County. During that time, fewer than twenty thousand affordable housing units were built. So on net. We're diverting units from housing for the working and middle class, and we're building. And, and more of these units are going towards short-term rentals. So it creates a real challenge to policymakers locally, who have to deal with the major problem in housing affordability. Um, it also creates um, uh, problems uh, for uh, uh, for cities to deal with in regards to uh, regulating uh you know behavior in in local neighborhoods you know for example traditionally you know uh, noise complaints and other things happen at a certain rate in in residential neighborhoods in areas around um short-term rentals you know the the, the response of the, the amount that that law enforcement has to respond goes up considerably due to uh overburdening of Parking infrastructure, due to noise complaints, due to transient uh, visitors who treat the neighborhood differently than residents, uh, so it does create an additional need for public services. Um, and finally, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, locally communities are very um, invested in ensuring uh, accessibility for the disabled and ensuring um, non-discrimination for in public accommodations and and yet um these types of regulations that apply to public accommodations right now their enforcement doesn't extend to vacation rentals because technically vacation rentals um are not do not fall under the same regulatory scheme as the rest of the public accommodation so in essence while it's illegal for them it would be illegal for them to rent out publicly and discriminate in that process, there is in fact no pragmatic way to enforce it in an industry that runs in the shadows. So what we found is that um, there are studies that show that um, people that have names that sound like they're African American names. This
2: was done at a Harvard Business School. This is a Harvard Business School paper that Armando's referencing.
1: And it finds that they're 16% less likely to be accepted by a host than people um in the in uh, a control Whites group so you know what it shows is that that um discrimination happens in these cases but enforcement of it doesn't extend to them and in fact airbnb has and others have said that
0: that's is that be- is that because it's unclear like who because i mean part of the discussion here is who should be doing the enforcing, the state or or local uh, governments, which is you know the competing bills in front of but the right legislature, now
2: Airbnb SB, wants hybrid of that. Is that the problem? Airbnb wants to be the one to collect the taxes, but they don't want you to know who you're collecting taxes from exactly.
1: So so what she means is that Why? right now there are two things. What what reasoning do they give? So there are two there are two Airbnb and others, they um they promote their private company-wide practices and policies, which prohibit this type of discrimination. Okay. Um, but it's something that we just don't know. Why? Because in, in the agreements that Airbnb reaches of localities, and in fact, that's reach of the state, um, it does not identify neither the address, nor the host, nor the owner, nor any identifying information about its properties to any of these local or state governments. So as far as the state government knows, it's an anonymous unit being rented out, right? They actually don't know where these units are or who they're owned by. Unlike, for example, public accommodations, where hotels have to register for their license and you know what the hell what, who owns the hotel, where it's located, you know, and you're able to to enforce these matters. It's in practical terms, it's impossible to enforce these things when you actually don't even know. Where these units are, you don't know who owns them. They, they, they're they completely abstract as far as these governments go. They don't know anything about them other than some anonymized ID that Airbnb applies to them. So it's basically very, very difficult, if not impossible, to enforce laws related to public accommodations, for example. And from the perspective of, of collecting tax revenue, um, it's impossible to audit or to verify any of the information that Airbnb is giving there, um the vast majority of vacation rental units do not register with the state um, they don't register at all so and Airbnb doesn't share any identifying information about the properties nor the owners. so if you look at it for practical purposes Airbnb could tell the state that it owes them X amount of money but there is no way to verify the the data upon which it's based. There's no way to verify whether the figures that Airbnb presents are fictional or or, or, or real, and so that really creates that's really sort of a standard that's unheard of in the rest of the of the lodging industry, and really it completely contradicts any form of oversight or regulation that traditionally is applied to this industry or any industry.
0: All right, let's wrap up on on uh, just kind of an overview question, right? Because the big issue right now is. Uh, Who's going to re- regulate Airbnb? I think it's pretty clear that somebody will at some point. Uh, at the end of this session, which which side is going to win out? Is this going to be? Are, are we going to see a a short-term rental regulation structure at the state level, or will we see one that is county by county, or even possibly municipality by municipality? Which one is more likely to win out?
1: So I think we're going to see potentially a little bit of both. But I think in the short term, at the state level, for example, we're likely to see more of a status quo.
2: And also, we already have 22 jurisdictions that have independently reached um, quote-unquote voluntary tax collection agreements with Airbnb, including And those Sunny agreements, Isles those agreements
0: don't apply to companies that are not Airbnb, correct? Correct. So Sunny Isles, you said, a, a few others. Uh, I know Miami-Dade has said that they – that technically listing your house on Airbnb is uh, fraud against your homestead exemption. Correct. Uh, so if the state passes uh, SB 188, would that rule become illegal or is it grandfathered in?
1: It would likely be grandfathered in. Okay. Um,
0: Which is just but, as messy.
1: Right, so it's gonna be grandfathered in one because it, a court, it does not change the current part of the law that creates that grandfathered clause. Uh, you know, for for cities and local governments that had laws on their books prior to 2011. And this would also not affect um, the, you know, providing homestead exemptions or not providing homestead exemptions. What this, the bill that they're considering at the state level, what it would do is that it would prevent uh, local governments from regulating uh, vacation rentals, In any way, if they're doing it differently than how they regulate residential properties, so to put it in other words, any way that any regulations or any oversight that they may apply to vacation rentals, they may they must apply it in the same exact way to all other residential properties. Got it. So, for example, if you were to find that there's a big problem with noise at um vacation rental properties and you know or any other challenges created by it uh, and you were to send and send around uh, code enforcement to make sure that they're following the rules you would have to send that code enforcement generally to all types of residential properties in the same way at the same rate you cannot differentiate the way that you would respond to uh, the challenges posed by a Vacation rental versus a regular residential property, but this goes back to the main issue: is that they want to lump in vacation rentals with residential properties. But as we've discussed, you know, a few minutes ago, and these are essentially commercial lodging properties; or are commercial businesses, and so you know, I think it it would be inappropriate to uh, regulate residential properties where a homeowner is living in it. In the same way as you would regulate a commercial business, that because of the happenstance of the way the law is currently, is able to operate that commercial business in a in a location that traditionally it would not be allowed. So, um, you know, those are kind of the challenges that we're that we're facing at the state level is that you know we have to be able to differentiate between residential property and a commercial business or a commercial uh, property if that's in fact how that property is being used.
0: Sounds good. All right. Thank you, uh, Armando and Jessica, for filling us in on the legislative side of this issue. Uh, when we come back from the break, we'll hear from Alan and Nick. You are listening to Voter Aid's Wonk and Circumstance. I'm here at the halfway point of this interesting episode on Airbnb to remind you that this podcast and all of the podcasts in the Wonk and Circumstance series are brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Voter Aid voter aid is your one-stop shop to understand the candidates that are running for office on your ballot not just for the big stuff for federal races but the stuff that you might overlook normally like state like local and speaking of local if you're in coral gables city of coral gables the city beautiful Your election is coming up in less than two weeks. VoterAid is live for your election. You can find out which candidates most line up with your views on important Coral Gables issues like development, traffic, and artwork. This is an important election, as all elections are, and we've got your back. Go to VoterAid.co, that's VoterAid, A-I-D, dot co leave that superfluous m off to the side take our survey and in less than five minutes you'll make sure that when you go to the ballot box to vote in coral gables elections you do so in the most educated way possible now to the second half of the episode all right welcome back uh i am here with uh two panelists that are going to be discussing the ideological side of this airbnb discussion and the 21st century slash gig economy in a little bit more detail uh first i'm going to turn it over to alan alan let the people know who you are
3: my name is alan braden i'm an employment attorney and i'm also the host of a weekly political discussion happy hour uh that's called pub house politics and we meet every thursday at democratic republic of beer
0: which is uh downtown miami and, and the uh, best-named bar, I think, in, in all of Miami-Dade County. I don't think I could do better. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and we have returning guests, and Nick.
4: Yeah, I am Nick Jimenez. I am the senior editor of Cigar Snob Magazine and the founder of DadeMag.com, which is a magazine-style website. All kinds of stories and profiles and interviews, but that, that are of interest to people even outside of Dade County.
0: And, uh, and Nick is, uh, is playing hurt today. He's, his uh, right eye looks like uh, yeah. it's straight out of the Predator movie. Oh, some
4: uh, allergies kicking my ass right now.
0: We heard Armando and Jessica talk about the legislative realities and the on-the-ground realities of uh, the hotel industry and its competitor, Airbnb, and similar websites that are uh, so limited in their market share that the interview was just a couple minutes ago and I already forgot who they were. I think one of them is, is home away. I think I heard that name more than once. I've Let's talk more big picture, right? We're in a kind of novel space when it comes to regulation with these new industries. We saw it with Uber and Lyft, and et cetera. We're seeing it as well with Airbnb, which is where people can sit back and actually have a discussion on ideological basis of whether or not they're should be regulation in the first place, right? Instead of just saying w- what level of regulation should there be. So I guess that should be the first question here. Should there be regulation? Should a private owner of a house be allowed to do with that house what they please? Should their neighbors have input on what it is that that house is used for? Let's go to Nick first.
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think anybody who's heard my uh, who's heard the previous episodes will find my answer pretty predictable. But <clears throat> uh, I'm going to say that... that the owner of the home uh, or the building or whatever it is uh, ought to be able to do whatever they want with it. In fact, I think, um, you know, as long as we're uh, approaching this from this sort of ideological, broader philosophical perspective, uh, this sort of gets to the core of what it means to own something, right? So how much do you own anything if you're not in complete control of, uh, you know, what happens to it, what it's used for at some point you're, you know, uh, the, the more regulation um, uh, you impose or the more regulation you try to justify, the more you chip away at, at the idea of, of property rights in general. Um, I know that some of the panelists, excuse me, got into uh, the idea of, uh, they didn't use the word, but externalities where your exercise of your property rights has consequences for somebody else. Um, but I think that that's sort of, a, you know, a, a bit of a convenient and, and very loose understanding of what externalities are. To the extent that, uh, that homeowners have a right to uh, do what they want with their homes, I think that that you know, applies when we talk about allowing other people to use a space uh, and, and charge some money for it.
0: Well, I think the, the thing here when it comes to the externalities, and uh, and if you don't know what that means, look it up. It's a very important word in your life. The, I think the thing with externalities and the idea of how how much of your home do you really own right and I'm not even talking about you know equity that you own versus the mortgage etc let's think about uh, the reason insider trading is illegal is because there's a theory and that is that if people are allowed to trade stocks in using manner that is not publicly available and not easy for the public to access it actually robs people of hypothetical money because they are potentially buying a stock at a price that's too high Right. So the idea is that the state steps in to protect the inside the people from insider trading because of this hypothetical dollar value. If if you are going to accept that argument and I'm not saying you do in particular, but if you believe in something like insider trading being illegal and you accept that hypothetical value uh, argument, wouldn't the same exact argument apply to Airbnb and private property homes? Because we know that a significant portion of the value of somebody's home is things that might seem silly, like whether or not your neighbors, uh, have, you know, properly kept houses and, you know, murder people and, you know, basic things like that. Like, so it, it would affect the hypothetical value of your home and therefore cost you potentially real property. So, I mean, could be a little bit of an inconsistency there if we say one's okay and one's not.
4: I don't see those as, as quite being analogous. Okay. Um, I, I think that one, it relates to the the playing field. So I think maybe the closer analogy would be the relationship between um, uh, short-term vacation rentals and the hotels, right? Where they're competing for the same business, but they're on a you know uh, the argument would be that they're not on a level playing field where one has an advantage uh, over the other, and I think that's where the analogy might uh, might hold because you're comparing those two to another group or another pair, for instance, of traders who both have the same objective and one of which has. Uh, what you might argue is an unfair advantage over the other. If we want to sort of liken it to uh, to investment or, or something like that,
0: um, yeah. I mean, well, many people consider a home to be the largest investment that an individual person will make during their lifetime. So, uh, you know, there is a, a very real potential financial problem here if you live on a, on a block where a neighbor is running a seedy... A Uh, hotel for lack of a better way of putting it because airbnb is a hotel company's greatest competitor they're running a hotel and the clientele that uses that hotel is not the kind of clientele that is in some people's eyes worthy of the neighborhood or whatever so you're trying to sell your house at the wrong time and you might lose fifty thousand dollars a hundred k or whatever hypothetical money that's real money
4: right and in that case i think you know that happens with any kind of investment, right? You might invest in a thing and not anticipate that the, you know, the company that you're investing in or the product that you're investing in has, you know, some kind of stiff competition coming around the corner. Mm -hmm. Um, It's difficult for me to see that argument as being anything other than protectionism. Okay. Where, you know, it's, uh, you know, it sucks for the hotels. If anything, I think the hotel chains should be pushing to loosen the regulations that are on themselves. But this happens every single time. Uh, that you have these pushes for regulation the biggest players are are the ones pushing hardest for it uh, and that's because they're looking to price their competition out of the market because ultimately you know if you're whether you're an Airbnb or even a small hotel uh, or a or a, you know more conventional bnb the more regulation there is the more literal cost there is to staying in compliance and so all these big players are always going to want to impose more of that on the market Lobbyists that you were speaking to earlier, uh, Armando, and I'm sorry, I forget Jessica. And Jessica, it seemed like the only hard data they had to back up any of their, you know, supposed concerns about the impact that Airbnb has on hotels is that Airbnb owners, uh, by a wider margin, apparently hate black people. Um, but there was very little to suggest, like, oh, we've seen property, and and maybe they just didn't cite that they might have them, but I didn't hear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was very they, that was the only number that I heard thrown out. But there, there wasn't a whole lot of what we've seen property values go down. There wasn't a whole lot of, uh, there was a lot of, you know, such a, such a county or a commission uh, or legislators have these concerns, but there was very little of like this percentage of their constituents have, con- have, have communicated those concerns to them. Uh, so it's unclear to me whether, whether all these supposedly damaged or, or whatever homeowners actually have a problem. Uh, I, I have yet, to, and this is anecdotal, but I haven't met anybody who's told me, oh man, somebody's using Airbnb around the corner from me. It's really, you know, it's really screwing me up. I'm really suffering the consequences of Airbnb's presence in my neighborhood. I've not heard that. And I know for a fact that I know plenty of people with Airbnb in their neighborhood.
3: Well, I think, uh, so I have, I have a different view of regulation. I think, I think there's lots of reasons for why you would want to impose regulation. And, and frankly, I think Nick has touched on why the hotel lobby probably wants to treat uh, Airbnb hosts like uh, hoteliers.
0: Um, it's not just hotels. It's also motels and holidays. Sure. And,
3: and I, I think uh, I, 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 it, it's not quite a duck is a duck is a duck. Um, we have an instance where, yes, they're engaged in similar activities, but uh, they're not quite the same thing. But when it comes to regulation, as far as what I think is a good reason for regulation in this industry, is uh, matching the expectations of the public. giving someone... What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is when you have somebody who's looking to consume Airbnb services, people who are going to live in the same area as Airbnb hosts, um, that there are certain expectations that all these parties have uh, going into the relationship. Uh, the consumers expect clean, safe environments. Um, the uh, neighbors expect the neighborhood that they've been living in, that they saw when they, when they inspected the house, uh, when they looked around. And not, there, there isn't quite a provision for the continuation of those expectations. Um, and, and just to yeah, kind of, but
0: to be fair, I mean, neighborhoods change over time just because they change over time. I mean, people move, people die, people are born like, and that's just on the people capital. People change their house, you know, they build additions. That's true.
3: But there's one thing that's been consistent in neighborhoods and it's that they are predicated largely on permanent residency, not okay. on transient, on transient hotel guests um and but, you I, know I
0: don't, I don't mean to cut you off here but i was just reading something uh yesterday about how miami is the city that has the largest number of millennials that still live with their parents now we're not dealing with that particular topic right now but it's, it, it touched off some thoughts about the changing nature of a lot of things every time there's a new generation that comes along and it happens every 20 or so years there is a rethinking of a lot of it a lot of things that we do now most of the things that we do stay the same but what if home ownership is one of those things that that's not going to be the purpose anymore right where yeah maybe some people that live in a community and and expected to live in that community for 50 60 years they still have that mindset but new buyers don't right like I mean a huge percentage of Miami's real estate is owned by people who don't even live here that they, they live elsewhere and they're simply using it as a rent as an income property and people that are in income properties generally don't stand to, to stay like renters, stay for a decent amount of time but they don't stay for you know five five decades
3: i I think that's the important distinction so if you look at let's say uh zoning uh zoning requirements uh, coding requirements when you see properties that are coded for let's say some sort of commercial use you see uh much more stringent safety regulations on those properties because there is a need for additional for additional safeguards when you have properties that are being used in a particular way versus properties where you have permanent residency so for instance a a good example of this is most commercial properties are required to have automatic sprinkler systems uh we don't require yeah we don't require (laughs) why uh simply because you have people who are not permanent residents of those of those buildings if a fire breaks out it's more oh, you likely mean sprinklers inside. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I, I
0: thought you meant sprinklers outside. That's what I was. seems very strange. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: No. It's uh, in, inside sprinklers because uh, you're going to have people who are in those buildings who don't know how to put out the fire, right? They don't know where the fire extinguishers are. They're not competent to do so because they are transient guests. They are people who are licensees on those properties for a very short period of time. And these are
0: commercial property? Yes. Okay. For
3: residential properties, there is no such requirement because ultimately it's homeowners that that are there for a long time. Yeah. I mean, and and to a certain extent, it's an example. But the, the interest and the expectations of people who are on a property... Permanently, as in they have no immediate plans to leave that property, mm-hmm. behave differently than people who are set up on that property as their current address. Okay. And I think when you look at the coding, the 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 coding ordinances in the municipalities around Miami, it's they are written that way, uh, depending on the fact that the people who are in those houses are there to stay for the indefinite future, whether it be six months, a year, five years, 50 years. The point is, is that they have no immediate plans to leave, whereas people who have immediate plans to leave will behave differently. Um, Hmm. And so I, I don't think that when you look at Senate Bill 188, where they say you can't treat residential properties and vacation rentals differently, I don't believe that the municip-
0: that municipalities can. That's correct. That yes. The state can do whatever it wants, but municipalities. But the can.
3: likelihood that the state will actually take the time to engage in nuanced uh, discrimination between those two properties is on un- is not likely. I mean, it really is. Coding has always been in the realm of uh, of municipalities because they're the okay. best equipped to do it. Um, so that that that's my concern is that they are not quite the same. Yet the state wants us to treat them the same way. Um, do I think that they have to have, they have to comply with every regulation that applies to hotels? No, I don't.
0: You know, what's interesting is is you touched on something that I want to get both of your feedback on. One of the questions that we ask on, that we're asking currently on the survey for Coral Gables residents, and we've included this question for a while, is, um, the opinion of the voter and the candidate on whether or not Uber should have the same requirements that taxi cabs do. So have medallions, have certain kinds of insurance, stuff like that. And you get into a, a kind of bit of a problem here where maybe it, we're forced to have regulation of companies like Airbnb at the county level simply because, like Alan was saying, the state doesn't do zoning. Or as far as I know, if one body has zoning rules and they're not allowed to change those zoning rules for one specific, isn't that kind of weird and a little unfair?
4: It may be unfair, and I'm not. I'm not suggesting necessarily that uh, that, the ho- that the hotel companies don't have uh, a legitimate complaint um, as far as you know their competition being treated differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think this is, that the the solution is to make everyone equally bad off.
0: So right? would the solution then be rather than yeah. to? Well, I already know the, your answer, to this Nick. Uh, <laughs> So, Alan, would the solution then be if you're in a situation where we don't want to have a double standard, instead of having two bad standards, why don't you just not have a standard? Because then everybody's equal then.
4: And, and I'm sorry, I know you're, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but because you mentioned Uber, I think Uber is a great example. I think if if you look at what's happened, especially in New York City with all these medallion requirements, every time I see these stories, I'm thinking, why do you need to try and kill Uber and make their requirements as, as hefty and as ridiculous as the cab companies, why don't you the cabbies just say, hey, why do we have to do this? Why can't we operate the way that they do? Why, sure. Why can't we? So, yeah, my, my suggestion would be to offer hotel companies the same kind of freedom.
0: Well, you know why <laughs> it happens. Because what Alan was talking about with uh, with homeowners, right, taxi cabs are identical, right? And it's really hard not to, to talk about Uber and Airbnb simultaneously here because – there's actually a bill in front of the legislature that all you have to do is remove – I don't have the, the number with me right now, but I'll make a mental note that uh, at this minute, Mark, I'll add it in the podcast episode page. The, there's a bill in front of the legislature that uh, just a week ago was passing through committees. It's probably going to pass the House. And it's the same exact bill. Pretty much as SB 188 and HB 425, which are the ones that say that the state regulates Airbnb, not local municipalities. You just take out the word Airbnb and you put Uber into it. It's the same exact idea. So it's kind of hard not to think of the two companies uh, simultaneously. If you're a taxi cab driver, you have the same complaints of somebody who's invested hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, under the old rules, and now those rules are gone. Well, you're not going to get that money back. It's sunk cost for you. And while sunk cost is a very important economic concept that everybody should know, you're out that money. It's not coming back. It's not your fault. Like, is the state going to pay you back?
3: Right. I mean, my, my concern So I, I think there's an important distinction between, uh, Uber and Airbnb, uh, w with, with
0: well, there's a significantly different investment cost, and get involved in both.
3: Correct, and I think the the assets themselves are very different. The expectations are also very different.
0: When the business the, professor may sure to, has to stop you right here and say a car is not an asset; it is a liability. But regardless, <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: I think uh, I, I think when you when you look at the interests that are involved with real property versus a a car that's on a public road Mm -hmm. you you have more interests at play you have more shared interests at play um that makes us a little bit more different and then the emotional component people's neighborhoods people's property lines yeah but
0: people like their car too i don't know and also to a a degree should the state care about people's emotions like i mean uh
3: to a certain degree yes okay um
0: you know it's something that well, I guess, you know, you we, do have the right have, to pursue happiness. That's right. my Well, what well,
3: we, well, we have our code enforcement uh, rules throughout Miami, the mm-hmm. ability for different municipalities to actually enforce them at the time of violations going on differs a lot from community to community. Um, and I think it's something that is worth taking into consideration because you do ultimately share property lines with these people. And I can get into, well, you know, my house doesn't have the insulation that I'm used to in the Northeast, I hear my neighbors doing everything and hey i love my neighbors i go i have beers with them all the time but uh um, you're not
0: friendlier than i am it's not
3: it you know it's not uh, ultra weak at my neighbor's house uh you know every time there's a long weekend um but i think the the biggest my personal issue with regulation of uh, airbnb is that if you go all the way back to old english common law one of the first regulations that you had on real property was uh, the common carrier liability which basically says that People who invite guests for the purposes of staying on their property, or people who transport guests, such as taxi cab drivers, livery drivers, that sort of thing, um, air airlines, they owe additional duties of care to the people well, who are on their property.
0: Not airlines back then.
3: Uh, no, not back then. Um, but once you once you put airlines in the air, sure. they started uh, they, they they assume those additional duties of care that do stretch all the way back to Magna Carta time. Those expectations have never really changed. So when just, somebody
0: just because a tradition's old doesn't mean it's good. That's true. Well, it doesn't mean that it's still good. I either. think
3: you have to. I think you have to come up with a lot of reasons why it wouldn't be good. Because ultimately, these that's, people are coming fair. in from out of town. Um, they are putting a certain degree of trust that they're going to have a clean, safe room.
0: The expectation you won't get killed by an axe murder.
3: We live in a block by block city. I mean, you can be in one of the nicest areas in town, walk two blocks, and be in a place that you should never be on foot after nine o'clock. There are common law liabilities still in effect in Florida today, where if a property owner does not take care to protect somebody about a criminal threat that they know about, let's say their property has been burglarized several times, if they don't let somebody know that, they can be looking at liability. Where the rubber meets the road here is that there are no regulations for Airbnb owners to incorporate, register with the state, carry a certain amount of premises liability. And in in my opinion, that's where the real argument for, uh, for regulation comes into play. Unfortunately, it's not something that the hotel lobby cares too much about because they already have to do it. But I would say that that's probably where Airbnb owners really do need to kind of step up to the plate and say, if we're going to offer this service, the reasons for that additional liability are present in an Airbnb rental, just as they are for a hotel. I don't think that this issue changed all that much with Airbnb coming onto the scene. I think it's a question of volume. We care about it now because there are, what is it, 200 some odd thousand units that are on... um,
0: I think they said 20,000. 20,000, 20, 21,000 right,
3: uh, units in Miami. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's where the problem rises. Um, now, Airbnb has premises liability that they offer, but it's an option. And it's also a secondary option. It's not a primary option, which means that if there is a dispute, there's going to be a court fight over whose insurance even kicks in, between the primary homeowner's insurance and... Uh, or Airbnb's secondary insurance. And it's going to play into, well, how involved was the owner on the premises at the time of the of, of the incident? It's things where the expectations have not been clearly laid out, whereas someone who walks into a hotel, they know that if they slip and fall in the hotel lobby, they're suing the hotel. And the hotel insurance is going to pay if it turns out the hotel is liable. Um, but there isn't that same expectation with Airbnb owners.
0: Sometimes I just wonder if if houston just knew what they were doing ahead of time and they're like we don't want to have to deal with any of these fucking problems and no zoning laws yep. do whatever you want build a roller coaster in some dude's backyard uh this is by far my favorite episode of how the states got their shapes may it rest in peace because i mean they're just like yeah whatever i wonder if if the prudence isn't even such a regulatory thing it's just like ah, we don't have to want to deal with these problems it's just somebody else's problem
4: well and and to your point you know there are all these arguments about uh you know what happens if this and what happens with that Airbnb didn't just pop up yesterday. No, it's been around for quite a while, and I don't hear. But them. no one's
0: really cared about them until recently. Right? Sure, to be sure. Fair. I'm but sure only, they've been around for a long time, but, but only
4: because they're big enough for somebody to care about. But my point is that there have been—I don't know what the number is—but perhaps millions of of stays. And if there were a, a serious, you know, a statistically serious problem of, um, you know, related to uh, insurance. Or, or whatever other expectations, you know, guests might have of, of the hosts, uh, I think we'd have heard about, heard about it by now, which is why, you know, uh, sort of, you know... Well,
0: generally, these kind of things, like, they, they come after some kind of big problem, right? Like uh, hitchhiking went away after a series of... And hitchhiking isn't illegal, but these things go away because something bad happens. I, I, I think that that's generally the case. We're just in a new era where information spread so quickly where something bad doesn't have to happen. It's just like, hey, this is a thing. Let's let's see what happens with it. Exactly. And, yeah. it's, a, it's so, different. It's,
4: it's a solution in search of a problem and the problem isn't there. So when... and to I, don't love, if, I, I don't know don't, if we have I, enough I, time I, to I go will, into all of it. I, I, I solu- would disagree with you there. Well, uh, sorry. I, just, I, I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned you have all this access to information. That also plays into, you know, at the time of the Magna Carta when all these ex- expectations were a big deal, uh, there was not the possibility of me you know, uh, shopping around from, you know, hours, if not days away from, you know, my current location and instantly having, uh, access to thousands or hundreds of, uh, of ratings and one to five star reviews. And so there is also a market for information that sort of removes some of the necessity for these expectations to be enforced legally. Uh, the, I, I, I've used Airbnb plenty, and I haven't used. I haven't ended up booking, but I've shopped on HomeAway for, uh, for vacation rentals, um, and and there is information there about you know well this is the sketchy neighborhood that's a block away, and you no, know, these people left everything really dirty. You might get I don't know asbestos poisoning or something. So all these expectations, you know, maybe there's a, an argument for some of it, but I hesitate to argue that there is as much of a need for the state. To guarantee, uh, you know that uh, that providers meet these expectations as there was at the time the Magna Carta was signed.
3: So, uh, I'll get to a, a couple. Of the the most important thing is uh, the fact that we haven't heard about a problem doesn't mean that there there isn't one. Um, that's fair. When it comes to legal issues, the money has to be there. That's the that's the real problem. Is I I think when you have booking bookings on Airbnb. Um, the question about liability or of insurance coverage is such that a lawyer flat out won't take the case. Uh, I would not take an Airbnb case simply because just determining whether there's a, a, a realistic expectation of payout there.
0: Alan, that, by the way, if, if you don't recall from earlier in the episode, is an attorney. So yes. he doesn't just say that hypothetically. Uh,
3: and uh, we don't work for free, unfortunately. Um, I'm cheap. I will work for beer, but it's got to be a lot of beer. Right. Um but, uh, but that, that's one thing. The other thing is the, the information that's out there, um, I mean, you've shopped on Amazon lately. You've seen reviews for, I don't know, uh, a backpack or whatever, and it's 5,000 reviews, all five-star reviews, most of them written from people in China. Someone who wants to attend an event in Coconut Grove, uh, he wants a place that's as close to Coconut Grove as possible. We all know that within a block or two of that downtown area, it can get real hairy real fast. But does a guy who's coming in from out of town know that? I, I, I'm going I'm to say that it's a risk where...
0: But doesn't price take care of that for you? Like, Does it? I mean, it, that's generally the case. Like, The average person knows that you get what you pay for.
4: Well, And not only that, but I think this problem only exists maybe for the first handful of guests, after which point... The information
0: until that, you know, until like somebody, five or six of them die, and well, then everybody else. Well, that's else the thing. I don't have numbers on it. Were-
3: Let's take Art Basil. How many, um, how many one bedrooms in Little Haiti went for $500 a night when Art Basil came through town? So I'm just saying it's not necessarily that you can say, Well, I'm paying $400 a night, I better damn well be getting a nice neighborhood, and I want to be really close to Art Basil. Uh, and, and so that that's my uh, that's my concern. And I, I think it, it, it's getting a little bit off track. But the point is, is that there are there are circumstances where a I mean, traditional a common, common carrier will be subject to additional liability. But the structure that Airbnb operates under right now, the expectations of if I have a problem that needs to be settled by the courts, I should be able to identify and pursue it in a clear cut manner. And unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. I think another important... I guess,
0: I guess the, the, just the, the wrap up here, the question is like, is that the state's problem? Who,
3: who's, who else's problem would it be? I mean, access to the courts, easy access to the courts is really only facilitated by the state. I mean, and what we're talking about really is can you incorporate these Airbnb hosts and can you make sure that they have insurance coverage for the damages that might result from their commercial operations? I mean, you have to do it for any other sort of profit-making enterprise in town.
0: So it sounds like a lot of the arguments for, and I'm not saying they're wrong, uh, but it seems like a lot of the arguments for increasing the amount of regulation on companies like Airbnb and the other newfound companies uh, are that that's just the way we've done it, and we need to just treat everybody equally, and so everybody gets regulated no matter who they are.
3: There's something magical about meeting people's expectations. Everyone knows what page they're on.
0: Even if those expectations are really low.
3: Yeah. Okay. I
0: I think there's also something.
1: Okay. I I think there's also something
4: magical about paradigm shifts that defy people's expectations. uh, But let's let's be frank
0: here. We're not going to have a revolution in the streets because people in Austin can't get an Uber. Like, I mean, people are going to complain on Twitter and then go home and drink some Starbucks. Like, do the people really care that much? Like, if Airbnb gets regulated out of existence, it's not what the state is proposing. But hypothetically, if the Airbnb gets. gets, uh, regulated out of existence, and everyone believes that hotels are to blame. Against this completely hypothetical scenario, is not what's happening. Are people going to stop staying in hotels? I don't think so. They'll just be like, ah, okay, whatever. Well, no, of course not. It's going to get over. We'll
4: have removed their choices, right? So when their when their options are a hotel or the you know underside of a bridge, then yeah, sure, they'll stay in a hotel. I, I think also lost in this discussion is, and I don't mean just between the three of us or or the the two lobbyists that that were in the discussion earlier. Uh, I just mean the broader public discussion about the uh, sharing economy. I'm not crazy about the term. Um, It's a pretty stupid term. Yeah, is is the impact on the consumer, right? So there's a very real value to uh, opening the market the way that it's been opened, such that people who uh, might not have access to a certain level of service and a certain level of, let's say, luxury uh, at a hotel chain suddenly have it through Airbnb. And there's a real value there. Uh, there's there's a value to the person who uh, has new access to uh, to a certain caliber of product. And there's also uh, a value to the person who's able to supplement their income. So I, I think that sort of lost here is the way that the consumer and the Airbnb uh, host owners are affected financially, which yeah, there is a real human cost there. Uh, and there's a real human benefit to the market being more open.
0: If you're not allowed to build, a, a terrace on your house you don't have to do any of that stuff without getting permission should you be allowed to run a company out of your business i mean the, i think jessica was the one that brought up earlier and it's a really good point you can't just open up a restaurant in your kitchen you can't just start making stuff out of your kitchen so if one part of the house is illegal should we now make the, the whole house is legal but the when you do it individually it's not and then it, it almost seems like every time you want to even like rent do anything you just need a lawyer. So, I mean, it's good for your practice, Alan. But uh, right. but I mean, yeah, it's, it seems like if you look at it from that perspective, then no, it's not really fair.
4: No, it, it, it may very well not be fair. But the, the solution is not to be you know, equally crappy to everyone who wants to do everything. <laughs> we keep coming their own. back to that, right? Yeah. I mean, so um, the, the other thing, and, and maybe I'm not familiar enough with the way that these bills are written. So, but, but there's with also too many words. With too many words. Uh, there's also the issue of even just the, the way that the discussion is framed, Jessica and, um, Armando. and Armando. we're talking. Nick's earlier. not good with names, no, as you I'm can tell. No, terrible with names. This is why I'm a print journalist. I never have to remember <laughs> uh, names during an interview. So uh, Jessica and Armando were talking in terms of you know Airbnb has X number of units, and Airbnb is in so many places. Airbnb doesn't have anything. Airbnb is a conduit. It's basically like a fancier Craigslist, right? So if we were doing this via Craigslist, if I just put a Craigslist ad up saying, hey, you can stay at my place for 20 bucks. Or, or, is that okay? But no, I, I think Airbnb just becomes a, an easier, bigger, more sympathetic target for the hotel industry because of the fact that they're so widely used, but it's very different, you know, uh, saying we're well, gonna charge a fee to put you in touch with you and to process a credit card fee than to say, Expedia doesn't have a bunch of units. Travel Aussie doesn't have a bunch of units and they serve more or less the same function for the hotel industry. So I think another issue is you know whether any legislation or regulation should apply to the software that puts consumer in touch with provider or to the provider and what expectations there should be there. I think Airbnb, even if I agreed with you completely about what the consumer experience should be, the regulation should have nothing whatsoever to do with Airbnb, and they shouldn't be a part of the discussion.
0: let's Let's wrap up with some some parting shots that have nothing to do with this issue. Uh, we'll start with Alan. Tell tell the people a little bit about uh, your event and and what the genesis of it was. Sure. Give me a minute.
3: So, um, Pub House Politics, weekly political discussion
0: happy hour. Um, Is the point that people are not going to have productive discussions about politics unless they they have alcohol?
3: I think it's kind of necessary at this point. Okay. Um, The reason why I put this together really was uh, I cut pretty much down the middle of the road, uh, not really happy with what I'm seeing on... Both sides, top side, low side of any issue. Um, But I think what has struck me the most as a 34-year-old is I've watched this country go from people talking to the other side of issues to people talking to the same side of the issue. Um, So I'm trying to get as many people from different ideological walks of life to um, put an end to what I call meme intelligence and uh, start talking. Those for, are...
0: Uh, that's an oxymoron.
3: It is. it is, But uh, but yeah, it's time for people to start talking to each other again. And so I think rational public discourse is something that uh, should be encouraged and uh, I can't think of a better motivator
0: than beer. All right. Uh, Nick, Dade has been doing some cool stuff lately, including a new podcast.
4: Dade's doing some stuff. Uh, so you can find us at dademag.com. That's D-A-D-E-M-A-G.com. Uh, the first... And obviously, most recent because it's the only one so far. Episode of the podcast is a uh, an interview with Joe Cardona, who directed a film called uh, Major League Cuban, which is about the it's a documentary about the history of Cuban baseball and its impact on Cuban culture both in the on the island and uh, in the exile community. So you should uh, go and check that. And also some uh, some op eds that Juanqui himself has written uh, that co- coincide with some of the previous uh, podcast episodes. the The other thing that I'll That I'll mention that has nothing to do with me, but in light of this discussion, I think is worthwhile. Is that you check out um, the "How I Built This" podcast? Love that podcast. So they they did an episode with the uh, with the guys who started Airbnb during the. uh, We do take
3: donations, Airbnb. There you go.
4: Yeah, Uh, during the the campaign between Obama and John McCain, these guys were trying to get this company off the ground, and were desperate for a way to pay off their credit card debt, Uh, and so they. Just went and bought a bunch of grocery store cereal and repackaged it in boxes that they made called Captain McCain and Obama O's. Um, I did hear that
0: episode because I remember that anecdote. (laughs) And they
4: managed to pay off something like $60,000 worth of credit card debt selling repackaged cereal.
0: The entrepreneur. Probably as elite. was probably super more legal. health risk super in the repackaged cereal than there
4: was in the Airbnb thing. But, uh, but super cool story, uh, and everything else in that podcast is totally worth listening to.
0: So there you go. All right, uh, so we'll wrap it up there. Uh, in keeping with the previous interview, ten minutes longer than I wanted. Uh, so thanks again to Alan and Nick. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Next week we will be talking about the budget and the budgeting process. It's actually much more exciting than it sounds. Uh, because we will be at the half point of the legislature's projected session. I don't know if they will actually finish on time. Chances point to no. However, in the meantime, thank you for listening, and make sure to go to voteray.co if you are in Coral Gables and take our survey. Your election's on April 11th. Don't miss it. See you next time.